Okay, guys. Um, last week we talked about how um, two things that we don't want to forget we are is one, that we are an authentic family of sacrificial love and must become that, and that we are a restored community of true disciples and must become that. Um, so it's a continuous process. One of the things that's required for being a restored community of true disciples is what we want to talk about today. It's essential to almost grasping any and everything that God has for a restored community. Because the strange thing about a restored community is everything has been restored by Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago and therefore can only be appropriated with faith. So there's no restoration without faith. The restoration that happens without faith is the grace of God that is given to us before we are believers and also after we are believers. But most, most things are restored when people trust God and his, and his son's words on the cross that it is finished. That is when restoration happens. Restoration does not happen without appropriating that which has been finished in faith. Any questions on that? Because if you want things restored, you have to trust the restorer and the fact that he's already done the work. Otherwise, restoration is difficult. Thank you. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So let me make that statement again. There is no restoration that can be completed without appropriating things by faith. I mean, if there was one restoration that was done on the cross, it was that Jesus Christ died for every human being. But that restoration is not complete in a person's life till he accepts Christ as Savior and Lord. Faith is required for restoration to be complete. Just remember that always, eh? Faith is required for restoration to be complete. Anything that needs to be restored. And if we are saying that we are a restored community of true disciples, restoration requires a grasp of faith and the works of faith that has to be so extreme. And so today's teaching is going to be extreme. Repentance fits in during times of salvation and during times of still getting it wrong. That's part of restoration too. I mean, there are other parts of restoration too. Eh? Unfortunately, I won't be able to cover all of them. Today, I'm only going to be looking at faith being an essential part of restoration. Like Marcus just said, again, if I don't turn from my ways, then restoration won't happen either. But today, the one thing that we need to understand is everything that Christ has finished has to be appropriated with and through faith. And we're going to talk about faith today as an essential part of a restored community. And it's going to be an extreme teaching. And by extreme teaching, I want to, all I'm saying is it'll sound like we are um, taking Jesus at his word and um, going gung-ho to the point that you'll think this is a word of faith teaching and it's not. If you don't know it, blessed are you. <laughs> yeah. Don't go research that. It's not worth your time. Yeah. So, guys, so here's the first statement. Faith is basically entering into what God has already done or wants to do with you. Faith is entering into what God has already done or wants to do with you or for you. Faith is entering into 
what God has already done or wants to do with you or for you. So he is the beginner, he is the author, he is the initiator of these things. It's not something that he's being coaxed into. It's not something that he's fighting against. It's not something that he's reluctant about. It is something that he initiates. Faith is entering into what God has already done or what God wants to do, either with you or for you. It must take away from our minds this idea that faith is hard work. It's actually a work of love. All the promises of the Father were birthed in love for you. All the promises of God, which uh, the Bible says are yes and amen in Christ, were birthed in love. All these promises were given for my benefit. It was for my livelihood here on earth and for eternal life hereafter that the Father birthed promises. How did he birth promises? He birthed promises by speaking them and saying, this is what I bequeath to you. He birthed these promises out of his love for me, for you, so that we may know how to partake in his divine nature here on earth and in the future. After he births these promises in love, his son goes ahead and through love, his son pays for it so that it can be ours. He pays for it. Because sinners or those that are enemies of God cannot appropriate that which is of God. So the son goes and makes everyone God's friend by dying on the cross. So the father births these promises in love. The son pays for these promises in love. This is why when he says it is finished, it's a completion of all the promises that God had for his people. These are love promises. eh? They are not hostile promises. They, They are not reluctant, grudgingly given promises. The Holy Spirit then brings it into my life with love. The Holy Spirit brings it into my life with love. The Holy Spirit's one desire is, can I take what Jesus said? Can I take what the Father said? And can I help Jacob taste, realize, rejoice, recognize, enjoy it? This is the Holy Spirit's desire. His desire is to reveal the fullness and the goodness of Jesus. His desire is to reveal the fullness and the goodness of God. His desire is to take what God has said through the ages and then bring it to pass in my life. He does this with a degree of eagerness yearns jealously to bring to pass what God has birthed in his love and the son has paid in his love. Given that these things have happened out of love, it is best that they are appropriated as ones who are in love with the one who did all this. When faith is without love, it's ugly. It becomes a strenuous exercise. It becomes contractual. It becomes work. But when faith is appropriated as, this is what my father has promised, this is what my elder brother has paid for, this is what the Holy Spirit yearns to reveal in my life, then I as a son approach my father knowing that, oh God, this is not a transaction that is contractual. This is the heart of the father towards the son. And the son goes towards it rejoicing with simple trust that comes easily. Remove love from faith and you've got nothing. We usually take faith and hope and we hold them together. But the one element missing is love. Because if this is not something that originates from a relationship, it becomes contractual. And once it becomes contractual, it becomes ugly. Where the faith movement lost a grasp on faith 
was when it became contractual. And when the idea of relationship and the father-son aspect was removed from it, it became ugly. Because the moment you think that faith is some kind of a covenantal bond that God has now tied himself to and must perform, then you will measure things by whether you receive the object you're standing in faith for instead of measuring it by the relationship that you're presently engaged in. The reason Hebrews chapter 11 towards the end in verse 38 and 39 speaks of people who never got what they stood in faith for but hails them as heroes is because they saw something that their father showed them that was far better than the material possessions that they could have gotten even though they stood in faith for it till the moment they died. May some of you stand in faith and not get what you want and we will still say you're a hero because you stood in faith and died. That's an aspect we never touch. Hebrews chapter 11 ends at 33. And yet it says, many stood in faith and did not see their promise come to pass. That which was promised by God did not come to pass. Why? Because they saw something greater. That kind of faith requires relationship. It's born out of love. If we forget this, we lose everything, guys. Every promise of God was birthed for me out of love. Every promise of God was fulfilled on the cross by Christ out of love. Every promise of God is brought alive into my life out of love by the Holy Spirit. Then it requires that Jacob now reach forth and appropriate it as a son, not as a Christian, not as a man of faith. When faith is viewed as a contract God makes with you that he is bound to keep, the object, the object of faith becomes the focus. When faith is viewed as a promise that a loving father makes to his son, goodness and the faithfulness of God becomes the focus. The goodness and the faithfulness of God becomes the focus. Guys, I'm telling you, if we don't think like this, faith becomes so strenuous, God becomes ugly. God becomes a tease who tells you to jump higher and higher and keeps lifting up his hand higher and higher. So it doesn't matter how much you jump up like a dog, you never get the piece of meat. And you begin to have to theologize, saying there must be some greater reason behind him lifting up his hand higher. It just gets so ugly. Any questions before we go on? doesn't matter whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's the healing, whether it's deliverance, whether it's provision, whether it's Hebrews 11, 35 to 37, whether it's advancing the kingdom. In everything, you lose this aspect. If you lose this aspect, I have lost it all. And the God I believe in turns out to be ugly. Because all that has to happen is time. The time that it takes to get to the finish line will make you resentful against God. Any questions? Restoration is never complete without appropriating things by faith. Because it was done, it was restored, it was finished 2,000 years ago. It is an invisible thing that you have to bring into the visible. Go ahead. Um, kind of, and we'll go there. Seeing in the spirit 
sounds like very scary, uh, but it's actually very simple. Thank God for these simplicities. So first, guys, faith first names a journey or an outcome. Faith first names a journey or an outcome. Faith rec- uh, it is not faith if you don't name what you are expecting as an outcome or you are starting out on a journey. Many nowadays do not name the journey or the outcome because they are scared that if things fail, people will think, ah, shucks. So they do not name a journey or an outcome. But throughout the Bible, you will see that unless God specifically told someone to be quiet, there was always a naming of a journey or an outcome. There was a naming of, but I will have a son, Isaac. There was a naming of, I'm important, but I will change my name name to Abraham. There was a naming of, you take my bones and put that in that tent there. And it doesn't matter how many years you're stuck in Egypt. When you leave, you will take my bones with you and you will bury it in another land. There is always a naming of a journey or an outcome when it comes to faith. And if you don't name it, then you're playing it safe. One of our greatest enemies, one of my greatest enemies when it comes to faith is pride. Pride wants to protect Jacob. But humility causes faith to thrive. And humility is transparent. Faith first names a journey or an outcome. Then after that it recognizes the impossibility of what you have just named. The impossibility of the journey or the outcome. This is impossible. It recognizes that. When you read Romans chapter 4, verse 16 to 20, you will see Abraham going through this process. He names it. You have called me father of nations. i got to change my name from Abraham to Abraham. But there's a problem. I recognize the importance of my life at 75 to 99. It recognizes the impossibility. After it recognizes the impossibility, it then dares to trust God joyfully. It dares to trust God joyfully. I pray God that anybody who's missing in church today, go listen to this. This is a wrong day to be missing. But some had really good reasons. (laughs) Dare to trust God with joy. I'll tell you why joy can kick in later. Just remind me, why, did jo- why does joy have to kick in? We'll talk about it later. Then it grasps the journey or outcome as your present possession. It grasps the journey or the outcome as your present possession. That's why joy kicks in. One knows that one is standing in faith when one is thankful and joyful even though the outcome hasn't come through. And the reason one is joyful and thankful even though the outcome hasn't come through is because one actually believes that it is done. Like, I told Don that for his birthday, I'll give him a ticket to Victoria. He is so joyful and thankful. For the last two years, he's been talking about it. Because he's so sure that he's going to Victoria. I I said that to him two years ago. 
one of these birthdays he will end up going to Victoria. He doesn't know which one. So he's waiting in hushed anticipation. Will it be this one? Will it be this one? But there's joyfulness and thankfulness in his heart. And his brother is even more thankful because there'll be two days without dawn. The point is this, Sam. At the end of the day, once you name the outcome, once you dare to recognize that it is impossible, then dare to trust him, then you must grasp the outcome as your present possession. And that is what brings in joy. It's a very evident sign when I'm not trusting God in that I feel afraid that it won't come to pass. I feel restless, irritated, frustrated, sometimes resentful, doubtful. It's because I'm not able to hold as my present possession that which God has said is yours, Jacob, because I promised it. Romans 4 instead says, Knowing that his condition was hopeless, he began to rejoice, ridiculously, absolutely convinced that what God has said he would do. This is critical to us if we want to be a restored community. A restored community doesn't rejoice after restoration happens. A restored community rejoices while restoration is happening because they're absolutely confident that restoration actually happened 2,000 years ago. It's a very odd way of living. It's looking to the future by looking at the past. It's a change of our thinking. If our minds are not able to wrap around it, it is simply because one, it is not something we can grasp with our gray cells. And two, because our minds don't think like that. We live in a world that is real, right? But this world is realer than the real world. It is. Once you think you've received it as your present possession, it might take three minutes, it might take one day, it might take four years for it to show up as touchable, tangible, smellable. It might take time, but it is during that time that you are proven as either a man of faith or as one who is not able to stand. Oh my God, I pray that everybody here gets to a place where we know what endurance looks like. There's only one caveat, really. In this is seeing in the Spirit fulfilled. When I ask according to his will, it is the only caveat. When I ask according to his will. Most of which is revealed in the written word. And some of it is revealed through what God speaks or shows you. But most of it that we need for life and godliness here on earth is already revealed in the written word. We're taking an extreme position. We are saying that if Jesus has said it, then we can trust it and it shall come to pass. It is an extreme position. It is a position without Greek or Hebrew. When you ask according to his will, 
The strange thing is when you ask according to His will, one of the things I'm trying to train myself up in is if I know that I ask according to His will, I expect a response ASAP. I expect a response. I expect a response as in I know when I ask according to His will that I can expect an answer from God in my spirit. That part I'm very sure of. It is biblical. It's how Jesus operated. It's how everybody in the Bible operated. They immediately knew in their spirit that God is saying yes or God is saying go this way. They always knew. I expect an answer. I'm not saying I expect the outcome to immediately show itself. I'm saying I expect an answer. I know now that God has assured. I know now that God is saying yes. I know now that God is saying, okay, Jacob, you asked, I heard. You asked according to my will. I have released it into your spirit. Now begin to gestate. The answer is immediate. If you don't think like that, then you won't be able to walk in his will. When you ask according to his will, train to hear and receive his answer in your spirit immediately. Why does he respond immediately? Why does he respond, as, respond when you ask? Because he said it. He said, hey, I'm the one who wants to release these things into your life. When you ask anything according to my determination, according to my choice, according to my purpose, according to my delight, why would I hold it back from you? I'll release it to your spirit. You may need stronger hands to handle it, so it might take a year. But I release you into this promise that you asked for. Now begin to walk in it as if you already possess it. It's not easy, but it is absolutely doable. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have done this. You are no exception. And then I begin to nurture, gestate, grow this promise in my heart that I know will come to pass. Whether it takes a day, three minutes, or four years, I'll nurture it and give substance or evidence to that which you and I cannot see. I will nurture it so that I can give substance and evidence to that which you and I cannot see. But that is the definition of faith. Sometimes we do it with rest-filled faith. Sometimes we do it with start-and-stop struggling faith. Hey, go with whichever you can get and then work towards a better option. Sometimes it's rest-filled. You just have this absolute assurance. Other times it's the stop-and-start faith, which is fine too, because God will assure you when you stop so that you can start again. This is not a God who's trying to block your way. This is a God who's standing by the sideline and saying, run, run, run. Or, or, or a parent who really doesn't want to put up that picture that your two-year-old drew, but will stick it up on his wall, though everything in that picture is wrong. That's the kind of father we are talking about, who's encouraging us in faith, not opposing us. It's during the time that it takes for it to go from that which I know in my spirit to that which I feel and touch. 
the doubt kicks in. Doubt comes from a word, diastazo, which simply means two-minded. Two-minded. Between two minds. And it is during the time while you wait for what has been said to you either in your spirit or because you read it as a promise. Now it's been said. You have the assurance, but it's taking time. And as it takes time, you begin to doubt. You begin to be in two minds. What will God do? How will he do it? How will he work it out? Why couldn't he stop it? Where is he? And those are legitimate psalms that you can write to God while you wait. You have to not take out the element of relationship and love out of this. God can handle a heart that laments without resentment. And by resentment I mean enmity and hostility against a father. He can handle it. He can even handle your hostility. He's got broad shoulders. My dad could handle my hostility and he was earthly. My brother-in-law who had his eye, um, uh, iris shattered and his retina uh, punctured um, had a surgical process uh, recently and uh, it would be highly painful because they left a tiny air bubble in the eye so that it uh, seals the retina. And so when he would move his head one way or the other, it would cause tremendous pain. And so one night um, last week he got up and he started... Uh, um, in tremendous pain, he started crying out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. And he started reciting Psalm 23 in extreme pain, crying it out. And at one point, he stops and he waits for a while and the pain is not gone. And he says, where are you, shepherd? And when I heard this, I sent him Psalm 42 and 43. Where David writes, why are you so sad, my soul? Why so distressed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Lament is okay with God. Haven't you seen your children do it in pain? What do they do when they are in pain? Haven't you seen parents who tell their boys, you're a boy. It doesn't matter how much it pains. You just stand there and you don't cry. You think that's parenting? You read the Psalms and you will see the heart of God. Strange, you read the Psalms and you will see the heart of God even though it's David lamenting. But during his lament, something begins to turn. May you get to a place where you don't have to write any more Psalms. But if you aren't there, start writing Psalms. While you're waiting, questions will come. Why can't he? Why didn't he stop this in the first place? Why couldn't he do this faster? Why is he doing this? Why is it taking so long? Why is he? Why is he? Why is he? And that's when two-mindedness comes in. At the end of the day, what doubt does is doubt affirms that God is able but questions God's character and willingness. What doubt does is doubt affirms that God is able. When Christians doubt, they never doubt that he is not able. They always know he is able and powerful. That's never in question. Doubt affirms that he is able. Doubt questions his nature and his character and his willingness. Doubt questions his nature and willingness. But it affirms. That's why it's two-minded. It's caught in this place where you're saying, yeah, yeah, my God is able. But I'm not sure, sure of his nature as a father or his willingness to help. And therein lies doubt or double-mindedness. 
That's why it says in Hebrews 10 that faith and patience must work together. Faith and patience must work in tandem. Faith and patience must work in tandem. There's this idea of immediacy and expectation that have to clash, that have to collide. Every time you take a stand in faith, guys, if you are looking just for immediacy, there might be days when it happens and you feel like you're on top of Mount Everest. Or if you think it's only going to be expectation, patient, enduring expectation, you might die before you get there. What you have to do is allow immediacy and expectancy to collide. Faith and patience to do its good work. And when that tandem does its good work, Hebrews 10.35 says you are rewarded. These are not natural to us. We either live in a society that always promises delayed gratification after 65 years of working or immediate gratification where you can take coffee powder, put it in hot water and drink it and call it coffee. It's neither. It's a collision of both. I read this beautiful verse in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. And it says, it brings together three beautiful things. It brings together faith, it brings together love, and it brings together hope. And it says that, I love it. I've read it before, but today it stood out like crazy. I just read it this morning. That's why it's not in a sheet. First Thessalonians 1.3. doesn't matter which version you read it from. It still sounds good. It says... Uh, Where's verse 3? Yeah. It says, um, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance or hope inspired, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a way to live, eh? We continually remember, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. All three put together. So I just want to take a few verses and look at them and take them at face value and see where we go from there. So the first one I want to take is Mark 11, 23 and 24. Mark 11, 20, 23 and 24. Sheldon, watch for the piano, man. Okay. Mark 11, 23, and 25. I've just expanded what... Uh, I've just added words in, in, in trying to explain what Jesus said. Here's what, here's what Mark 11, 23, and 24 say. Surely I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. Surely I say to you, if you, Jacob, if you, Jacob, say... I mean, just think of it, huh? Surely I say to you, if you, Jacob, if you actually say, to what? I left out that. To this mountain or to this obstacle. To this mountain or obstacle. If you say to this mountain, or in other words, an obstacle, or hindrance, or something that is in the way, or something that, if you say, and then speak, 
If you say to this mountain, be removed, as in be loosed, be lifted up, be removed. And if you say to this mountain, be cast out or thrown away. And look at what happens next. And if you don't withdraw in terms of your boldness and your saying and your faith, if you don't oppose that which you have just said because you know, your rationale begins to kick in, if you don't hesitate as in take two steps back and forth, and if you don't doubt as in become two-minded, but have faith. One, entrusting whatever you're dealing with to Christ. And two, crediting God as able and willing. Then, those things that you said shall come to pass. And you will have whatsoever you say. I wish there was a way we could explain this away. It would be easier to believe if there was some Hebrew or Greek explanation that diluted this whole statement Jesus made and makes it iffy or perhaps. This is how scary faith can be. And then as if that isn't frightening enough, he takes it a step further. Therefore I say to you, pardon? Sure. Well, that's what you were trying and that's what people were... Are you a member yet? Only members are allowed to move the board. You are, eh? <laughs> and then as if it isn't bad enough that he said this, he now takes it a step further and he says, therefore I say, everything, as in all, anything, everything you desire or ask, trust that you have received it, seized or gotten it, and you shall have it. Jesus' words, eh? And all this happened after the fig tree experience where Peter saw what happened and then he, Mark records this. Yes, and we are, we'll talk about that next. I thought of doing the caveat first, but then I thought, no, I'll do it after. Because remember, scripture is tapestry. You have to see how it works and weaves its way through. There's just no way to work around this, guys. I've been looking at this for the last one week. I've been trying it out. Not because I want something, but because I want this to be normal. If you say, Jacob, to this mountain or this obstacle, and we'll go to the caveat next, if you say to this mountain or this obstacle, be removed, as in be lifted up, be loosed, be cast off, be thrown away. And if you, Jacob, don't withdraw from what I have promised in my will, if you don't begin to oppose with your mind and your heart, with your thoughts and your feelings, because you don't know how to tangibly see it in this physical world, 
If you don't begin to hesitate, go two steps forward, two steps backward like a tortoise. If you don't doubt where you become too minded about, can God do it? Yes, he can, but will he? Is his nature good? If you don't go down that route, but instead if you have faith, and what does faith require? Entrusting it to the anointed one. Entrusting it to the king of kings. Psalm 37, commit, roll over things, entrusting it to him and crediting God as able and willing. Crediting him. This is what Abraham did. He credited God as able and willing and God credited it back to him as now you are right with me. Abraham credited God with, you are able, I know you will do what you said, you are willing because you are not man that you should lie. He credited to God ability and willingness. And God credited to Abraham, you are my friend and you have been made right. Then those things you said, it goes back to, you said, my God, has Canadian culture put a spell on us where we refuse to say refuse to speak then those things you said shall become or shall come to pass those things you said shall become or shall come to pass and you will have whatsoever you say Therefore I say, everything, as in anything and all things, that you desire or ask, and the, uh, uh, we'll go to the caveat next. Trust that you have. Trust that you have received it. Have faith that you have received it. It's in the past. You have received it. Jacob, begin to walk like I'm a man who promises and I don't break my promise. Begin to walk like I'm a father who loves you and does not uh, tease you around or lift the bar higher. Trust me, believe me, that way. And then you can begin to walk as if you have already received it. As if it's your present possession. As if you have already seized it. As if you've already gotten it. You're willing to trust a Goda with your hotel booking and turn up in Hawaii and expect them to give you a room. If you can trust something called a Goda or Trivago, And go absolutely happy to Hawaii with a hat and a pair of silly looking shorts. Surely we can do better. I haven't been to Hawaii so I can take pot shots at how people go to Hawaii yet. Therefore I say everything you desire or ask, trust you have received, seized, gotten it and you shall have it. Any questions on that? What a way to live, eh, if we get here. Very hard, man, to think like this. That's the problem. Okay, so the caveat. It's in the Bible, you know.
want to turn it around? I don't want to take away those privileges from you. Caveat is First John 5, 14, 15. 1 John 5, 14, 15. That's the only caveat. 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is the assurance or confidence. This is the assurance or confidence you can have in me. You can have in me. This is the assurance or confidence that you can have in me. That if you, Jacob, ask anything according to my will, Choice, purpose, determination. Determination. I hear you. And given that I hear you, And given that I hear you, and given that I hear you, whatever you ask, given that I hear you, whatever you ask, you know then you know then that you have Hold, possess the thing you asked for. The thing you asked or desired. First John five fourteen fifteen. The only caveat. This is the assurance you can have, Jacob. Like, this is me, God speaking. This is your father. This is me, your father. This is me, God, who... Remember what I said to Moses, that am I man that I lie? Am I the son of man that I say something and don't come through with it? This is me speaking to you. Your, your father, who you know quite well, I'm saying to you that this is the assurance, Jacob, or this is the confidence you can have, Jacob. That if you ask anything, anything, Jacob, anything, huh, it covers a whole lot. If you ask anything according to my will, and if you don't understand will, let me explain it to you, Jacob. You, according to your will, according to my will, as in according to my choice, the choices that I make. And the better you know my nature, the better you know my choices. 
according to my determination, according to my purpose. And I've revealed most of what you need for life and godliness in the word anyways. You ask me anything according to my will in these areas, I hear you. Not just listen, I hear you. And given that I hear you, since you're confident that I hear you, because I'm telling you I hear you when you ask according to my will. If I hear you, then you can have this absolute confidence that whatever you ask, whatever you have desired according to my will, you know then that you have it right now, you hold it right now, you possess it right now. Possess what? The thing you asked or desired. And then begin to walk in it with such thankfulness and joy. How do you find a way around this one? I would begin, I, I, if it says whosoever, then I will pray for the family. And uh, I realize that their wills are involved and God will not violate their will. But when it comes to things in my life, I can change my will. But thank God someone prayed for me the whosoever prayer. And even though I was very much against uh, giving my life to the Lord, God orchestrates. So I would still hold out on that promise. Yeah, sorry? Yeah. And, so, and sometimes we won't know, eh? Sometimes we won't know till the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Yeah. But through you and for you, may things happen like this. Through you and for you. Yeah. See, most of the things that I need are in the Word. Most of the things that we need are in the Word. The other things require asking and hearing, and that we are at different places. But most of the things we need are already in the Word. It, it's when it comes to, shall I take this job or this job? Shall I go to this country or that country? Shall I buy this house or that house? Those are the things that we might have struggles with in wanting to do what God wants. Not because we are afraid, but because we want to do well. Sometimes people ask questions of which one, not because they want to do well, but because they are afraid that if they take the wrong, make the wrong choice, all hell will break loose. That again takes love out of the equation. That is where we begin to ask. That's where we go to others who may be able to help us hear better. This part is so important. This is where we struggle, guys. That you have, hold, possess. That you have and hold and possess. Right now you have it even though there's nothing to show that you have it.
Some other scriptures you can take note of is Psalm 37, verse 3, I think, or 4, where it says, Delight in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Why does He give you the desires of your heart when you delight in Him? Because as you delight in Him, His desires become your desires. So He finds it very easy to give you what you ask because you ask according to His will. Let me say that again. Delight in the Lord for He will give you the desires of your heart. How come? How come all it takes is delight and He'll give me the desires of my heart? Why? Because every time I delight in Him or pursue Him in great delight, His desires become my desires. His likes become my likes. His tastes become my tastes. And as I begin to do this, I'll find that it's easy for Him to grant me my desires because I'm asking according to His will. Which takes us back to 1 John 5, 14, 15. What doesn't this cover? Your physical body, your marriage, your family, your children, your provision, your future, your purpose. What doesn't this cover? The only thing it doesn't cover is the knick-knack, uh, not, uh, is the nitpicking that we necessarily have to do. When is it this or that? That's when we may have to ask him. But otherwise, everything is covered. God doesn't mind your nitpicking. He likes it. Children do that with their parents. So Psalm 37, 3 and 4. And then I think verse 4 says, Commit, roll over, hand over to him, and trust him. Commit, roll over, hand over things to him. And then be bold and confident because he'll make your righteous reward. He'll make his favor shine upon you. The reason I'm scared of rolling over things to him, or, you know, I'm not scared of rolling over things to him, but once I roll it over to him, I might take it back for a little while because he isn't doing anything with it. That's where I mess up. I give it to him and then I say, give it back. You're not doing much with it. I scared Mike. He'll talk to me about it later. <laughs> so that's, that's what happens when the rolling over things happens, where I take it back. Any questions before we conclude? Go ahead, Nick, and then Charlene after that. So why don't I deal with that next week? And this week we'll deal with how we pray for our headache. Yeah? Because this is so expansive a topic that we can go... I'm not answering your question. It's a very valid question. But how about if we start in Jerusalem and say, okay, how do I deal with this in my life? And once I deal with it well in my life, I'll begin to now spread it further. Because we go pray for people who have sicknesses and diseases. What happens then? When I, am, when, I, when I know that God says, go and raise the dead, heal the sick, cleanse the leper. It's written in the word. 
how do you go about it? So we will have to deal with that. But for now, why not deal with how does this work in my life? Yeah? Because once I get to do this in my life, then it becomes easier to have the confidence to practice it in someone else's life. Because that is the biggest struggle. Can I wrap my head around it? I don't even know whether I'm wrapping my head or my heart. I'm wrapping something around it. But can I wrap myself around these truths so they become absolutely flesh in my life? And once I'm comfortable with that, then I can begin to have a degree of confidence in Mike's life or Heidi's life. Because right now our struggle is we haven't mastered this in our lives. Go ahead, Peter. Makes the heart sick. So hope deferred makes the heart sick. And then when you come to Romans 5, it says, but God has poured his love into our heart so that we can now begin to hope and know that he will not disappoint. So when, when, when uh, Solomon is writing the Proverbs, he is writing not necessarily about God when he says hope deferred makes the heart sick. He's writing about life. But let's say it is actually true that when God doesn't turn up on your time schedule, you do feel like your heart is discouraged. And every time your heart is discouraged, you'll have to go running to Romans chapter 5 and open Romans chapter 5 and look into Romans chapter 5 and then get your hope going again. Because there is this reality of discouragement and frustration which I'll talk about before we end. Because when God doesn't show up, not even on my timeline, on a decent timeline when he doesn't show up, it really makes you feel a whole set of emotions. And you've run out of paper, you don't even feel like writing a psalm. Then what do you do? Uh, Charlene, you had a question. That actually is in the context of disagreements in the church. So uh, there when Jesus was talking about it, he was actually saying um, that with regard to dealing with uh, injustice or wrong things in the church, if two or more of you agree concerning. But I think it's okay to take it out of context and use it as long as this caveat applies. Hey, one of the persons who took scriptures out of context the most and used it really well was Jesus, eh? And thank God there were no professors at that time who went, how dare you take that out of context? That's not what it says in Greek. He would, he would put things out of context. I'm not suggesting that you do it. I'm just saying sometimes scriptures can be taken out of context and uh, as long as certain other caveats fit. So if two of you agree concerning something, as long as you ask according to his will, then two of you can agree or three of you can agree. And all that happens when two or more agree is not that suddenly God feels obliged. Ah, shucks, that's, they've reached quorum now, I have to do it. No, it, the person who's rattled when more agree is the enemy. Because now there are far too many people trusting God. He is the one that is 
disheveled and dismantled. It's not like God suddenly thinks, well, Diana's counted. There are 23. Quorum is... So that's not how it works. So uh, I don't have a problem taking some scriptures out of context and using them as long as it fits the other caveats. Do it. Yeah. At the end of the day, guys, it doesn't matter how many agree. If it doesn't agree with God, it ain't happening. I remember being in a uh, class in, uh, at Regent and the prof had a cough. And uh, so he asked us to pray. And it was fascinating to watch prayer. So one guy prayed that if there is anything God is trying to teach him through the cough, that the prof learn it. <laughs> then someone else prayed saying, uh, uh, oh God, um, uh, may he learn how to endure it uh, so that he may learn patience through the process. Then the third person prayed that, oh God, may he know which medicines to choose. So that. And so there were four or five different prayers for a simple cough. And these were future pastors. I was one of them. And so, <laughs> if it doesn't agree with what God says, then it doesn't matter how many agree. And every prayer got an amen. And then I realized I was saying amen to prayers I really don't agree with. So then I stopped my amens. There's a process of preparation that gets me into, the position, into a position to receive full reward of faith. There's a process. May I, Sheldon? There is a process of preparation. There is a process of preparation that happens between knowing God's assurance and waiting for it to manifest. There might be, not there is, there might be a process. There might be a process. It doesn't always have to be, guys. There might be a process. And what is that process? He, God may want to get, get my heart, get my heart, to a place of purity, like this is the repentance thing Marcus was talking about, and fearless love. There might be the need to get my mind to a place of humility and renewed as in thinking God's ways. There might be the need to get my spirit to a place of willingness. These things may happen while I wait. These things may happen while I wait. Because uh, Mark 11, 23 and 24, I think, is followed by verse 25, which says, 
And as you pray or ask, if there is someone that you need to forgive, make sure that you forgive them. So there are things that might happen during the time of Ashak's Lord. So I asked and I know with absolute confidence, either because it's in the word or because you've spoken with this deep assurance that you will give me what I ask and that I have it as my present possession. So I'm going to begin to walk as if I already have Isaac. And I'm going to ask Sarah to shout out my name, Abraham, in the marketplace, even though people will laugh. And so you begin the process. While you're waiting, things are changing. Some of the things that might change is my heart may be brought to a place of fearless love. My heart may be brought to a place of purity where I have to repent of something. My mind might need to be humble. My mind might need to be renewed so that next time I want to have an Isaac, I won't have any hesitation because my mind now thinks differently. There might be the need to bring my spirit to a place of willing obedience. Not reluctant, willing obedience. Jonah had to be brought to a place of willing obedience. Guy had the guts to have himself thrown overboard. Just keep that in mind. Any questions before I move on to the last bit? Just want to talk about sickness and end. Let's just touch on sickness. Given what we've just said, how do we deal with sickness? Again, these are extreme positions which might get you kicked out of Baptist circles, but um, not, not, not here, but in other places. Or perhaps charismatic and Pentecostal circles too. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what do we do with these scriptures? So, Matthew 8, 16 and 17. Matthew 8, 16 and 17 says, He took uh, my illnesses. He carried my or uh, diseases. This was before he was scourged. Before he went to the cross. Matthew 8, 16 and 17 says, He took my illnesses, he carried our disease. He took my illnesses, he carried my diseases. He took our illnesses, he carried our diseases. What do you do when the one you call Lord and Savior, the one you call Master, the one who you call the, sacrifice, the sacrificed lamb of God, the one you call the way, the truth, and the life. What do you do when he says that, Jacob, I've carried your sicknesses and I've carried your illnesses? What do you do now when you fall ill or sick? Now you have to begin to think, what do I do if... I mean, in the world they have this thing called double jeopardy. Where you can't punish a person twice for the same murder.
if Jesus took it and if Jesus carried it, I'll ask it in the form of questions so it's a little more palatable. Then I'll answer it and it won't be palatable anymore. If Jesus took it and Jesus carried it, should I refuse it? Do I rebuke it? Do I resist it? Do I disallow it? Do I choose not to come under it? If he took my illness and he took my disease, then if he already took and carried it, should I refuse it? Since he carried my diseases and sicknesses, should I refuse it? Should I rebuke it when it comes upon me? Should I resist it? Because it was carried by not just anybody, but by Christ Jesus. Should I disallow it and say that it is not allowed because someone else carried it? Should I choose not to come under it? Or should I just accept it as this is the condition of man and this is the condition of the fallen world? Or do I speak it or say it? What do I do with 1 Peter 2.24? Where it says that by his wounds or stripes we were healed. What do I do with that? Do I speak it? Do I command it? Do I say it? Do I pray it? Do I call my body into wholeness because he paid for it? with stripes that plowed his back open? Do I command it? Do I call my body into wholeness? I can't force you down this road. But I can present to you what seems to be just simple words spoken by a simple God and encourage us to begin to work our hearts and minds around these truths. Begin to resist that which needs to be resisted. I'm going to call that which needs to be called because the king of the universe has spoken. But what about this and that? All of that is true. And I'll, I'll end with that. I'll tell you what to do with that, but it's, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I remember this, I forget this. I forget that he already took it. He already carried it. I was born again in 1988, October. So it'll be 31 years this October. And I've lived by this. There's not been a day since I got born again that I've had to take a pill, medicine, visit the doctor, never had to do it. I assure you, I'm not saying this as anything to boast about, but the sheer grace of God in this one area in my life 
which I seem to have understood a little better. Thousands of other areas where I have fallen short. But this area, someone taught me long ago. And he has shown himself tremendously faithful to this. I cannot force you down this road. Because Jesus very clearly said, according to our faith, we begin to walk. And so according to our faith, we've got to discover this. eh? So if for an instant you're feeling that, oh, but I am not able to, praise God you're able to today because tomorrow is a new day. Because tomorrow is a new day. During this time, there have been times where I sought God desperately for healing because I was in acute pain and it wouldn't happen. And when it wouldn't happen, I would feel discouraged. I would feel sad. I would feel fearful. I'd feel frustrated. I'd begin to feel feelings of distrust towards him. I'd feel let down. Occasionally, the pain would be so intense that I'd feel resentful. That I'm trusting you, but why can't you come through when you've so clearly said that you are this kind of a God? How come? It is the same the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, but where are you, shepherd? And then you finish saying that, you go to bed and you get up the next morning and you start again and you see the faithfulness of God. You see the faithfulness of God. If it doesn't heal today, I'd start again tomorrow. Other times if there were things that I needed to repent of, or that God revealed that I needed a change either in heart action, in heart condition or uh, action, I'd do that. But my, th- th- there's one simple thing we start with, guys. We start with Psalm 139, verse 13 to 15. I have been wonderfully made. How you made me is amazing and wonderful. When you were putting me together, my frame was not hidden from you. Your eyes saw my body even before it was formed. You knew me then, you loved me then. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Oh, God who put my form together when I was not yet. I bring this form back to you, oh clockmaker, oh father, oh assembler. I bring this form to you that you lovingly put together. You loved me then before I was formed. You love me now after I am formed. So here, oh God, do with your property. Much more so now than before because I've been bought body, soul and spirit by the blood of your son Jesus Christ. Do with this body as only you can do, O great physician. And he begins to show himself faithful. And once you see the faithfulness of God enough times, then stories that seem to show him as untrustworthy begin to look like objects in your rearview mirror. As in, they, the, the stories that you hear are not untrue. They are people's experience. But you are beginning to experience the faithfulness of God in your life. And now you begin, you begin to see the word made flesh. The thing is, guys, the world is craving to see this. But it can only be seen through a visible people who belong to an invisible, powerful God who calls himself Yahweh Rapha. So every time 
high stuff suffer from anything i remind myself that hey but didn't he take it didn't he carry it well then jacob why don't you not accept this as normal why didn't you resist it didn't jesus rebuke things that were not from his father why don't you rebuke it why do you have to come under this why can't you begin to say no i do not carry this because my savior and lord jesus christ carried it and then jacob why not go to first peter 224 or isaiah 53 which says that i was healed why not call it forth didn't abraham call something forth didn't abraham say in romans 4:17 to 19 that he is a god who calls things that are not as if they already are but didn't jesus have his back plowed open so that your physical mental spiritual emotional wounds may be healed now why don't you call god's gift of healing that is brought to you by the love of the holy spirit paid by the love of christ promised by the love of the father why don't you in relationship with your father begin to call this healing command this healing upon your body it is bread for his children healing is bread for the children and we step in and walk in it and it takes 4 days it takes 5 days you tell others to pray to and then the 6th day you tell them hey guess what it takes 4 years it takes 5 years and then the 6th year something changes it takes 4 minutes it takes 5 minutes and then you realize it actually happened 2 minutes ago and your mind just is bedazzled by this god who is alive and well on planet earth these are god's lines how i made you was amazing and wonderful jacob when i was putting you together your frame was not hidden from me my eyes saw your body even before it was formed i knew you then i loved you then and all the days ordained for you jacob were written in my book before one of them came to be this father you think is irresponsible any questions i'm done you know i wrote this <laughs> i saw this in a book and i wrote it down and uh, says what do you expect me to say do you want me to commiserate this is god speaking what do you what do you expect me to say do you want me to commiserate with your with you over the sickness are you looking for explanations as to why you have certain symptoms do you want to know the reasons why there is sickness in your body or soul will it really help you if you know all these things is that how i approach the needs of people when jesus walked on the earth no he didn't go into detailed analysis of the situation he simply spoke the word of command and they were healed isn't that what you want the healing that simple word of authority that will bring you release and healing i'm certainly willing to speak that word are you able to receive it so sometimes we want to know all the reasons all this and that 
And the more, like I said, knowledge sometimes confuses. Any questions, guys? The first time I saw God at work was at a, I'd taken a group of youth to a beach called Zalak Beach in Bahrain. And there was this Hindu kid whose name was Ketan. And uh, first time he's coming for the youth meeting. I was a brand new Christian. I must have been around for a year and a half. And uh, so I'm taking the youth and they step into the beach and this guy steps on something and it just cuts through his leg and he begins bleeding like crazy. I mean, if there were sharks, we would all have been eaten alive. It was, I mean, the water, was, uh, the water wasn't bloody, but there was a lot of blood. And I don't do well with blood. Neither does Jeevan. Oh, I should tell you about Jeevan. And then I'll come back to the story. Jeevan took someone who was bleeding to London Drugs to get him Band-Aid. And while the guy was looking for Band-Aid, Jeevan was on the floor. Yeah, so wrong guy to take with you if you have any issues where you have a cut. Eh? So I wasn't that bad. So. So, <laughs> true, no? True story, Jeevan? Yeah. yeah. It happens, so. Thank God you didn't choose to become a doctor. Yeah. So, so, uh, so this guy is bleeding like crazy. So it's an accident, it's an injury. And uh, he comes out of the water and I know his whole night is going to be ruined because it's an all-nighter. And then did something that I'd heard, seen, wanted to see. I got a few young people together Caught his, put his leg up on a rock, began to pray for his leg. And as we are praying, the wound begins to stop bleeding. And after the wound begins to stop bleeding, it just closes. Closes as in it, the gash is still there. You can see it's a wound. But it almost seemed like the blood flow had been closed. That boy went on to have a great evening. About a month later, he gave his life to the Lord. I met him three years ago, and he was still going to the U.S. Navy Chapel in Bahrain. And it all started with something that he saw. Remember? Yeah, I had a friend called Bonnie, Chantel's dad, and uh, he broke his arm, and uh, he could not lift weights, do nothing. And uh, he was so incapacitated, and he's a very active person. One day, he begins to pray for healing and he's in front of the mirror shaving with his other hand and suddenly he starts screaming for Chantal's mom saying and begins to call her out because while he was shaving suddenly there was a crack and his arm that was broken gets fixed. These are real stories. Eh? And he, uh, yeah, he could lift anything after that. And these are, I mean, these are three-minute things. And then there are three-year things. These are three-minute things. So, may your life be full of three-minute things, three-day things, and three-year things. Have a, have a smorgasbord of things that took different times. And you learn differently for each of them, eh? Some of the things we need endurance and hope for. Some of the things happen instantly and you can rejoice and call a praise meeting immediately. And so injuries are... Remember, guys, this is the same God 
who made something as heavy as this, called an axe head, rise up to the top of the water? How does an axe head rise up to the surface? This is the kind of God. So begin to go down this road and you cannot do it in a day, I cannot do it in a day. Our problem is when we hear stories, we want them to happen to us immediately. But everything takes time. We grow. Faith is like a muscle. It grows. Only you don't have to go to Steve Nash for it. You can sit in your home and get a situation and exert it. Thank God for small mercies. Any questions? Any other questions? Yep. Steve Nash is a gym. Oh, okay. All I'm saying is, guys, try to work this into your personal life so that it can become visible. That's all I'm saying. And while we are working it out, should we need to go to the doctor, call me or call Mike or call Diana or call Heidi and we'll drive you to the doctor and most of the others that I mentioned will sit there till you're done. I might just drop you there. But the point is this, <laughs> that while we are working this out, Let's use everything that God has provided. Everything that God has provided. Even stuff like broccoli. But may we arrive at a time when perhaps some of us can begin to display this in our lives so that others may see. Why is it a rarity? Because there's not enough displayed. Once it becomes displayed, people will say, perhaps this is something that because what is being displayed is exactly the opposite. And that is why God has provided us other means for comfort. But then there are times when we can lean back on some of these promises that are extreme. Go ahead, Anne. Yeah. Yeah. With the small things. Absolutely. Start by saying whatsoever you say. Start by saying. Yep. Okay, doesn't matter. Okay, so last week you might have, or a couple weeks you might